What I'm interested in encouraging is undertaking a journey. I would like to invite travelers and not tourists to visit Bhutan to undertake a journey yeah, through Bhutan and by undertaking a journey through Bhutan, discover something of themselves. This is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. We're your hosts, Tanya and Adam, travel filmmakers living in our camper van and out of our backpacks for the last four years. Through our experience and through conversations with others, we discuss travel, adventure, courage, and mindset. You'll hear from guests who remind us that life is short, that personal growth matters, and that adventure is for everyone, whatever adventure means to you. Subscribe to join our community. This is the Adventure Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. A couple of months ago, we went to one of our bucket list destinations, a place that not many people had heard of. And actually, it was because of Adam that I found out about the country. Yeah, it's so funny. When we're explaining to people, people always ask, oh, where are you going next? What's, what's up next? And we'd always say, oh, we're going to Bataan. Quite often, we would get some blank stares back <laughs> because people would be like, oh, and then try and figure out if they'd heard of it. And then we kind of explain. And that's because it is a relatively unknown country. And mm-hmm. I'd only heard of it, actually, I think because of finding a video about it on YouTube, uh, because it is such an intriguing and interesting place. Yeah, I think if you have heard of it, it's probably because it is famous for being, quote unquote, the happiest country in the world. So the government prioritizes the happiness of its citizens over GDP or national wealth. Yeah, that's it. So we'll we'll start the episode with a big old list of Bataan's facts, fun (laughs) facts about Bataan and why we think it's really interesting. But just to give you a bit of context about this episode, we are going to be talking about our film, we're going to be talking about our time in Bataan, and we're also going to be intercutting that with an interview that we did with Chering Topgay, who is a former Prime Minister of Bhutan, and we managed to go and sit down with him for an hour in his home and just chat about Bhutan, and he's got some really interesting insights. So, yeah, that's that's his voice will be coming up in this episode as well. So it's going to be a mix of us chatting and us chatting with him. So that's what it's come through. But first, shall I, shall I list off some of my favourite facts? Oh, I love it. Are these top-line Google facts again? These are top-line Google facts from the... Was it WW World Wildlife Foundation website? So nice, solid. I, I trust them. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. good. And also, Bhutan is known for sustainability, as we'll probably find out. So exactly. over to you. Okay, so firstly, the word Bhutan that translates from Land of the Thunder Dragon, and it's earned that nickname because of the fierce storms that will roll through down to the Himalayas. So it's obviously a very stormy country. We were lucky with the weather, actually. We didn't witness any of that, did we? No. Do you know what? Very interesting. We've just talked about the Himalayas. Maybe we should set the scene. Where is Bhutan nestled in amongst the map, the world map? So am I right in thinking, I've got to try and visualise it now, it is at the far end of the Himalayas, the eastern end of the Himalayas. No, is that right? We're sitting on the western the side. The western side of the Himalayas. <laughs> oh my God, the facts. Uh, well, I don't have that specific fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, the western side. That's right, the western side of the Himalayas. And test what countries border Bhutan? India and Nepal. You're looking at me blankly. Is that because and, you don't know where I'm wrong? And China. And China. India, 
Bhutan and China. Yeah, and that's why they always say it, that Bhutan is nestled amongst giants. Nestled amongst giants. That is very, very true. Come on, give me some more facts. Next fact. So this is a lovely fact. Bhutan is the only nation in the world where the sale of tobacco is banned. Wow. Yeah, that's good. We didn't see anyone smoking. That's true. Yeah. They did. They were eating those things. Oh, yeah. They've got this. Instead of tobacco, they've got this thing that's quite similar to the thing that lots of Scandinavian countries have, which is like this kind of like, I can't remember the name of it. It's this thing you chew on. Um, theirs was slightly different to this because it made their teeth all go red and it was like from a plant. So they've got their own uh, ritual, habit, <laughs> vice, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. They had that. But no tobacco, which I think is great. It's, it's really interesting. Bhutan is also, as we, as you mentioned earlier, Bhutan is the only carbon negative country in the world with 71% of the country covered in forest land. Yeah, and it meant that while we were there, we did a lot of driving. Yeah, through, through all the trees. <laughs> yeah, there were so many ups and downs in the mountains and just green everywhere. Yeah, the country is effectively set in mountains with woods everywhere. That's mm. effectively what it is to give you a basic overview of the landscape. Oh, and one fact that we don't actually have written down, but I know at the top of my head, the population is 777,000 people. Well, tiny. Tiny. So you can really just get a picture. Very few people, lots of green. Yeah, that's smaller than a lot of cities. Yeah, that's, true. That's unbelievable. So... Another reason that there are so few people there is it's only allowed... Oops, that is yeah, a... That's a haunt. We are parked up by a completely different... Uh, the polar opposite from Bataan. We are parked up <laughs> by a canal and the canal boats keep going past and honking because there's a little bridge here and they need to honk to let people know that they're coming through. So, <laughs> so if you hear some honking and some rumbling engines, that's why you might not have even heard that. So you might be wondering what we're going on about, but that's what's happening. Where was I? Where was I? Oh, yes. So it's only allowed tourists in since 1974. Yeah. So that's it's, wild. It's still not there. There are not many tourists there at all. We didn't see hardly any tourists. The only time we really saw tourists was at the famous point, the Tiger's Nest, which is the most touristy spot there. But other than that, we didn't see a single other tourist, other than a few hikers that I can remember. So yeah, it really did feel like we were. We were on a really, we were in a really unique place from that perspective. Another fact that I find absolutely fascinating is that Bhutan is one of the last countries in the world to introduce television to its people. The government, <laughs> listen to this, the government lifted a ban on TV and the internet only 11 years ago. I'll just check when this was written. 11 years ago, as of 2010. So, okay, so 1999. So 20... So 24 years ago now. 24 years ago. Which is basically when everyone's <laughs> wow, getting the internet anyway, this. to be honest. This is like <laughs> live fact checking. Live fact check, yeah. Uh, <laughs> live fact check. So, yeah, to be fair, that's kind of when everyone... Not many people were really using the internet before 1999, were oh, they? We might have to scrap that fact. No, it's still fascinating. TV and it, no TV. Let's just leave it at the TV then. No TV before 1999. Yeah. That's, that's like Spice Girls era. Yeah, Spice Girls era. So... What's next? 
Right. So love the facts. We just want to paint a picture of what it was like for us arriving and being in Bhutan. Ooh, here's another fact. It's one of the most dangerous airport landings. We forgot to oh, say yeah, that. We did forget to say that. Yeah. So there are only a few more than used to be. I think the common like fact bouncing around the internet is there are only like 11 or something pilots trained to land at the airstrip in Bhutan. But that is not quite true. There are more than that now because we actually managed to speak to the pilot. We went and stood in in the cockpit after landing and we took her portrait and she explained that actually it's more like 50 or 60 or something pilots who are trained to land at Bataan, but that's still mm. pretty exclusive. And yeah, it's the only way into Bataan really is flying. So it's very, very crazy. As you fly in, there are just mountains either side of the plane. Yeah, such scale. And when we, once we did arrive and we made it <laughs> down safely, safely yeah. <laughs> and... It was just otherworldly. You, uh, it feels like you're traveling back in time. The the best word to describe the experience is just authentic, mm-hmm. because there are n- there's nothing that feels like it's put on for tourists. So, for example, we drove five hours and then trekked five more hours to reach a rural village really high up in the mountains. I think it was like 3,800 meters above sea level. An indigenous, an indigenous village, isn't it? And that really is like going back in time. And, you know, just the way that they live, they have of course, no central heating. So we slept on the floor on very thin mattresses, but so many blankets. Under a heap of blankets. <laughs> <laughs> and we're constantly having tea because it's so cold. And I, I really mean constantly. There wasn't the time that we didn't have a yeah, cup of our tea. Host, our host, Tilladim, she was called, was constantly boiling water it was like we made a joke of it towards the end because whenever we'd see her she'd be pouring water putting it on the stove and <laughs> it was yeah constantly boiling water for teas and rice and whatnot mm-hmm. and the other thing to mention is of course Bhutan is known as a Buddhist kingdom so there you can often hear people chanting or praying and this is just an example of how welcoming they are when we were walking around Laya village we heard this chanting and then we were invited into that person's family home to sit in on their ritual ceremony that actually so happened just once a year and just the chanting was mesmerizing maybe we can put some in there now so you can hear At this point, I think it's probably worth noting that we've got a YouTube film all about this. I don't know if we've mentioned that, but we've just released it. We released it today on the same day as this podcast, and we're really proud of it. So if you are at all interested in finding out more at the end of this podcast, go check out the link in the show notes. And yeah, the film is there. It's a 25-minute documentary, effectively, of our time in Bataan, and you'll be able to see all the things that we are talking about. We just want to take you back to when we were in Bhutan, in the home of former Prime Minister Chering Tobge, and we asked him about his work and his mission. So here he is introducing himself. For the listeners who don't know who you are, what has been 
your life's mission and your life's work and what you're doing now? Well, I think there'd be nobody, none of your listeners would know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a grand introduction is in order. Uh, and I say that because, uh, like we discussed earlier, very few people heard, have heard of Bhutan. Mm -hmm. If people haven't heard of Bhutan, how would they hear of me, Sring Topge? Very true. Uh, uh, and not hearing of Bhutan is in a way good, particularly for people who are really into traveling and exploring who like adventure, who like learning, who like going on a journey. Mm -hmm. yeah? There are precious few opportunities in life today where you can really undertake a journey, not just in the travel sense, but really a journey within oneself or uh, uh, learning a new skill. Or You can do many journeys, right? Mm -hmm. But because everything is now uh, digitized, mm -hmm. uh, everything is on the smartphone, uh, everything is on social media, so you're bombarded with information. If you're interested in podcasting, for instance, and you go on to TikTok or YouTube or Facebook, and you start uh, going into podcasting, and, and before you know it, you're inundated with uh, information. Mm -hmm. Really, you don't have the opportunity to plow through jungles, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, to really seek out what you're looking for. Everything is spoon-fed to you. The uh, algorithms... They will, uh, uh, they will tell you what you want to see. Mm -hmm. yeah, and you are actually confined to that. Yeah. yeah. So Bhutan now. Yeah, I'm so happy that you didn't you really know a lot about Bhutan. Perhaps if you did, you wouldn't want to come here. And because you didn't, you had to seek your way to Bhutan. Too bad you don't have a motorhome. <laughs> you had, the, 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 the trip would have been that much more uh, enjoyable. Your journey would have been that much more fulfilling. So this is the story of Bhutan. It's a small country, sandwiched, nestles in the Himalayas, sandwiched between giants, uh, been doing our own things. We've been fortunate, many reasons, but uh, we've survived. We are a unique country, unique culture. However, we are a small country, small population, 700,000 people, uh, small GDP, uh, $2.5 billion only. And so, what is my life's mission? It is to protect my country. What is my life's mission? It is to strengthen my country. My life's mission is to enhance the prosperity of my people, of our people, of the Bhutanese people, as they see themselves in the future. So we've taken some questions from our Instagram community about our time in Bhutan. And we've got a great one here from Bea and Simo, who asked, was it planned? How did you manage to come in contact so closely with locals? So it is mandatory to have a tour guide when you are traveling in Bhutan. So before you can even book into Bhutan and, and you know, even book a flight, you have to do that through a tour guide. So they are basically someone that you will talk to and you'll manage an itinerary with mm -hmm. and they will basically tailor your trip for you. So it's actually really straightforward. You don't necessarily have the freedom that you would if you were doing it all yourself, but... You do, oh, you eliminate the hassle. 
And I think that that is invaluable. When we had Peldon, who is an absolute legend. He has been a guide. Such a legend. Yeah, he's been a guide for 30 years. And there was an itinerary that was set out for us for the seven days that we were going to be in Bhutan. When we sat down with him and we reviewed the itinerary more closely and also shared with him our films from YouTube and and our, and what we wanted to get out of the experience. He even went and tweaked a few things. We we did a, a stone bath, for example, that was supposed to be in more of like a fancier place. And we're not fancy we people. We did in a shed in the end, didn't we? Because <laughs> it was even more traditional. So we're like, yeah. yes, Peldon, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, he, he was a legend. He was basically open to being flexible and to doing what we wanted when we were there and could actually speak to him, which was absolutely great. And I, you know, obviously we can only speak from our time and our experience with Peldon, but the people in general in Bataan are very open and very like problem solving orientated and just very mm. nice, lovely people. So I'm sure that yeah, you would have a very similar experience to us. And yeah, Peldon was great. I loved his laugh, which you would definitely hear a lot of if you go over and watch the YouTube film. And do you know what? I will put his email in the show notes because I know that if anyone is interested, you can contact him directly. Good we point. highly, highly recommend Peldon. If you were to Google Bataan, you would likely get results such as happiest country in the world, because as we mentioned at the beginning, this is kind of what they're famous for. And so Wendy Moody asked, how do they implement the happiness strategy? And we actually spoke to Sharing Topgay about this, and this is him answering what makes Bataan unique and how they implement the strategy of happiness. It would be great to jump into the things that make the country unique. And I'm pretty sure you know where we're going with this, but the focus on gross national happiness over GDP being something that Bhutan is is renowned for. That's actually something that really drew me to the country and mm. made me really want to visit because that's so intriguing to me because you never hear that. Like if you hear politi politicians in the West speaking about that, it's all just lip service. But mm -hmm. here it's something that is actually taken seriously. And you can see it when you talk to the people here. Gross national happiness has been our development philosophy since the 1970s. Till then, we were largely secluded, agrarian society, uh, lived in harmony, in peaceful harmony with nature and among ourselves. Uh, so that's not to say that till the 70s, we were in a mad rush to make money. <laughs> <laughs> but in the 70s, our king, our fourth king, uh, he articulated the development philosophy of Bhutan. And uh, he said it's cross-national happiness. And it's more important for Bhutan. It's more important than cross-national product. This was in the 1970s. So you're talking like, what, 40, almost 50 years ago. Mm. What's amazing is how far ahead of his time he was. Mm. Because today you have scholars and some politicians and governments really go beyond just economic progress, uh, measuring economic progress, really trying to measure the welfare of the people, the well-being of the people. Yeah? And so there's a lot of emphasis on sustainability and the environment and social inclusiveness on clean government, on equity. You know, it's a lot of this is gaining traction, but it is still contested. Huh? It's not like today everybody says uh, gross national happiness, something like that, an alternate uh, uh, emphasis to development, 
uh, philosophy of that nature will do us and our future generations good. It's still contested, even though we have increasing numbers of scholars and a few governments and a few politicians who are embracing similar concepts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it just shows how far ahead of his time he was. Yeah. And so for Bhutan, we've been fortunate because we really didn't have to do anything. You know, our kings did everything for us. So when we talk of cross-national happiness, you need an economy. But that economy needs to be sustainable. And uh, we are fortunate that we have all our forests intact. 70% of our country is under forest cover. Mm-hmm. You know, the remaining 30%, a lot of it is water bodies and glaciers. Much of the 70% is pristine forests, old forests. Yeah, it's not like they were deforested at one time and they've been planted again, no. And this is why we are a biodiversity hotspot. 50% of our country is uh, protected by law as nature reserves, national parks, wildlife sanctuaries. So from the sustainability point of view, we are very lucky. And the, the, the offshot of it all, the result of it all is that today we are the only carbon negative country in the world. Hmm. And this is amazing. Yeah. You think about before the Industrial Revolution, the Industrial Revolution that was brought about by the hunger for knowledge in the West and the drive for excellence, I suppose, yeah? But before the Industrial Revolution, which has done so much good for humanity, before the Industrial Revolution, one would imagine that almost every country was carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in a quick 200, 250 years down, we have only one country that's carbon negative. <laughs> How did we get here? Yeah. Yeah, uh, which is a different discourse. However, we are carbon negative. We sequester three times more carbon dioxide than we emit as a country. And this has been always like that. Yeah, And it's because of our king. Yeah. Similarly, our culture. Yeah, our culture is uh, vibrant and unique. And I see that uh, the way I see it is that we as Bhutan, as Bhutanese, have a big responsibility as custodians of a culture that's unique to Bhutan. It's unique to Bhutan, but it is the resource of the world. And so our job is to protect this culture. At one time, this particular culture was actually quite widespread from Mongolia through Inner Mongolia and Tibet, parts of China, throughout the Himalayas. And today it's just Bhutan. And so we have this responsibility to protect this unique culture. We've got to keep it relevant. Yeah, for, 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 for this day and age. We can't be living in a, a, a museum. Yeah? yeah, And then you talk of governance now. As a part of cross-national happiness, there's a lot of emphasis on good governance. Mm-hmm. And again, the result of it is we have democracy. A democracy that is imposed, that has been imposed by a king on a people that were reluctant. <laughs> we didn't want democracy. Yeah, uh, we were happy with an absolute monarch, taking care of us, taking charge of everything. Yeah, but uh, our enlightened monarch said, for the future of Bhutan, you have to have a democracy. And so today we are a multi-party parliamentary democracy. Our lovely loyal listener, Lena at Ginger is Vegan, has asked to hear more about the people and their culture. What similarities there are? Do they have electricity? How do they live? Yeah, so... I think, of, of course, a lot of these will be answered by watching our film as well. But to kind of summarise, yes, they have electricity, but the houses are very humble. They 
whilst actually from the outside they mm-hmm. look really grand and beautiful they really take pride in the artwork on the buildings and how they paint their buildings which again is easier demonstrated on film than it is on podcast then you know that you can really tell that they take pride in where they live but it is also very humble and up until recently in Laia the the indigenous village up in the mountains they were running off solar panels so they have only very recently switched to mains electricity so yeah it's still it's still not got the infrastructure that you would expect in the western europe for example mm. one thing that i noticed as soon as we arrived to the capital paro was the fact that they didn't have any traffic lights, but instead they had... They had people effectively dancing. (laughs) I say dancing because that's what it looked like, but they were just using hand signals and certain gestures to direct traffic on when they were or were not allowed to go. And it was very interesting. It wasn't like a kind of traffic officer that you maybe expect to see in the UK or in America just guiding the traffic. They were really elaborate with their moves and it was really structured. It was like... A choreographed dance. Yeah. It's all I can liken it to. Absolutely. If it, maybe like the backup dancers to like Lady Gaga. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what they look like. It was it was absolutely brilliant. And you could tell that we were such tourists because we were just standing there watching them for ages. So something else that struck us as quite unique about Bataan is that their national sport is archery and they absolutely love it. And they mm. are incredibly skilled at it. They shoot over something like 125 or 140 meters mm-hmm. at a really tiny 25 centimeter target. Really passionate about it. And this is the competition and this is the game that everyone plays there. There's no football, really. I mean, they do play football, but it's not what you see everywhere. You see archery in the place of where you might see football uh, around Europe. So, it, yeah, it's it's really incredible. And they get so into it their celebrations and their <laughs> dancing yeah let's play a clip of them celebrating now And just to give you a little bit more of an idea, we asked Chering to describe what to expect when visiting Bhutan. At the beginning of the conversation, you talked about how very there are very few opportunities in life that we get where we can really truly discover somewhere new. You brought up a really good point about the algorithms just feeding us the things that they want us to um, to to see and to learn about, and you end up going and you, you end up in an echo chamber. It's very difficult to find new places and discover new countries like Bhutan. Um, what what are the, the the unique things about Bhutan as a tourist that you can come here and that you can expect? Um, for example, if I can add that uh, hiking and trekking here is big. The snowman's trek, we've heard about it. It sounds amazing. We'd love for you to talk about yeah. some of those adventurous things that people can get involved in. Well, these are all tourist things, yeah? You can go on a day hike. Uh, you can bathe yourself in the, in the oxygen in the forest, you know, lush forest. You could wander among our village fields, our paddy fields, into a village home, a farmhouse, uh, where they'll be very happy to welcome you because that's a part of a tradition to welcome travelers. Or you can meet young children on the way to school or way back from school. Better still, meet a little monks. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, we've met some little monks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and did absolutely delightful. We have some handicraft, uh, art, our architecture is absolutely different. I would say phenomenal, but at least it's different. Um, <laughs> food is different. Yeah. So there's a lot to experience from the tourist perspective. Yeah. What I am interested in encouraging is undertaking a journey. Yeah, I would like to invite travelers and not tourists to visit Bhutan to undertake a journey yeah, through Bhutan. And by undertaking a journey through Bhutan, discover something of themselves. Yeah, or reconnect with themselves, reconnect with nature. I mean, you've got to leave richer than when you arrived. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if, if we can't offer that, then I think uh, we have to try harder in Bhutan. For me, the thing that was so special about visiting Bhutan is that when you are there, you really feel as though you are immersed in the culture and it's a very, very rich culture. So I asked Cheering why culture is so important in Bhutan. It's not just a veneer. It's not just a facade. No. Culture is related to values. Mm-hmm. So if you lose your culture, uh, it means that you've moved on from your values. If you adopt another culture, assuming you know that you're adopting another culture, it means that you've accepted foreign values or new values, for better or for worse. So that makes culture, I think, that much more interesting, and in Bhutan's case, that much more critical. So I think that this is a good time to talk about the price of going to Bhutan because it is expensive. And Chris Saleta asks, can you talk about the daily fees for being in Bhutan? Yeah, so they have something called the Sustainable Development Fee, which is $200 per day per person. And that is a lot of money. We don't know how long it's going to stay like that because they are trying some kind of different structure where you pay slightly less if you're there for longer which we won't go into the details of because you know I'm not sure how long it's going to stay like that but it is it is just a huge amount of money and that it's effectively a visa cost isn't it mm-hmm. and just to explain why they have it they talk about bringing high value low impact tourism and how this money goes towards the infrastructure protecting the environment protecting the tradition creating jobs and so you know, i think it's just fair to say bhutan is a poor country mm-hmm. and they want to make sure that they're allowing that the, the money that's coming in from tourism is not and I guess in other ways just like sucking the life and the tradition out of a country yeah, so but it's rather really, the opposite it's really interesting because we went straight to Bhutan from Indonesia and in particular from Bali where it's the complete opposite they really encourage tourism there are lots and lots of tourists there and that model really does seem to be working for tourism like for bali like as far as we were aware everyone was really happy the culture was still surviving Mm. so yeah for us it's really interesting to see bhutan take this different approach maybe they can't afford to accommodate a large amount of tourists Mm -hmm. yet so they're slowly kind of building up with the pumps that can afford which can fund maybe future developments for future tourism so it'd be really interesting to see if this changes in the future but yeah, it's just, it's a very unique model. I don't know any other country in the world, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know any other country in the world where, you know, you have to pay a daily fee that is so large to visit. And yeah, there's no way we could have personally afforded to do it. 
unless we were invited by the tourism board uh, to film. Which is what happened. Which is what happened. Yeah. So we, we went out there to do some filming projects for them separate to our YouTube video. But we managed to capture the experience and it was a massive bucket list tick for us. Mm -hmm. And we feel incredibly privileged to have had the opportunity to do that. And just a note, if you are genuinely interested in visiting Bhutan, um, as I was doing my research ahead of this conversation, I saw that um, on the 1st of June this year, 2023, depending, you might be listening way into the future, they introduced a scheme to encourage people to travel to Bhutan for longer. So if you go for four days, then the next four days, the fee is wavered. So just look into that because there might be ways that you can you can save on that, that visa. So Claire and Craig from Claire and Craig Travel have asked us, do you have any idea what it would be like for a wheelchair user. Mm, so that... we, because we weren't really paying attention to that when we were there, but we have since done some research. And Tanya, you stumbled across some interesting articles about that, didn't you? Mm, from people yeah. who have had an experience in Bhutan as a wheelchair user. Yeah, absolutely. So I ended up going on some uh, message boards being one. And of course, the infrastructure, as we've said, you know, they're still a developing country and there is a lot of steps. It's also known for trekking. However, I found this brilliant article in the Financial Times of of a family that went and the mother was in a wheelchair and this was only a, a couple of years ago. And I'll just read out what they said because I thought it was really beautifully written. In Bhutan, disability was at times a novelty, at others an opportunity for a religious good deed, but above all, it was a fleeting concern. Nothing is permanent is a fundamental part of Buddhist approach. Life, beauty, hardship, pain, all are transient and all are secondary in importance to kindness. And this article really talked about the fact that you had monks and just local people that would just help her mom travel from one monastery to another, up the stairs, down the steps. So, you know, this is just one person's account, but I really do think that whilst it, I'm sure that it would have its challenges, where there's a will, there's a way. That experience from that person does not surprise me one bit. And I just quickly want to address this question from Lena, who asked, how was eating vegan during your time there? And we thought we were going to struggle, but it was actually fine. Again, our guide, Peldon, made mm -hmm. sure that everyone understood what vegan was and would accommodate us whenever we were being housed in the local families' houses. We'd always be getting lentil soups, rice and vegetables mm -hmm. and beans and everything that we needed. It was absolutely fine. It did get a bit repetitive after a while, but, you know, that is to be expected, I guess. So it wasn't the best place. It wasn't the best vegan food. But we got by absolutely fine. And in the capital, there was a really brilliant cafe, actually, that we really loved. I can't remember the name of it. Can you remember the name of it? <laughs> no, but we went back a lot of times. We went back a lot. Whenever we were there, we made sure we <laughs> ate every meal possible there because that was set up by a local who had spent some time in Australia, I think. So there were lots of great vegan options and like um, smoothie bowls and things like that. And it was great salads. So yeah, we can, we can definitely recommend that place for anybody who's going and is vegan. We will leave that in the show notes, but I'm just sorry I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, but otherwise, we we were fine. Again, if you're comparing it to cities like New York and London and oh, Lisbon, it's just you're not going to have the variety. But you survive. 
Absolutely. So yeah, great question. And yeah, thank you very much, Elena. Also, can we just talk about how random it is that somehow some way we ended up in the home of a former prime minister of Bhutan yeah. which is like your dream destination it was so funny <laughs> and it was so random and it was great to just sit down and talk with him what a privilege before we wrap up we'd just like to do a quick little quick fire round just a few we've got a list of three questions here first one is what is your favourite country to visit outside of Bhutan Ooh. I love the world. <laughs> yeah, like you, I love to travel. A true been, politician. No, 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 been, yeah. <laughs> no. You see, I, uh, I studied in America. Yeah, uh, their culture, their food, their, uh, their sports, music, uh, England, uh, Great Britain. Yes, fantastic. Yeah, Ireland? Europe, all of Ireland? Europe. Have you been to Ireland? I haven't been to Ireland. Ireland. Oh, oh, you're missing out. I've got to go there for the uh, literature. And and, and Guinness and for Guinness, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> two reasons. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, most of Asia, mm. yeah, most of Asia, Europe. Uh, You're just slowly listing off the whole world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the whole world, uh, and 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 every country, even in this globalized uh, setting. It's still a little different, right? Every McDonald's is a little different. Right? <laughs> Every Starbucks is a little different, hopefully, yeah? And uh, Europe, like you see, the Tour de France. I like to watch the Tour de France for the cycling, yes. But the villages, the castles, the roads, the mountains, yeah. the, all different parts of Europe, it's amazing. But I, I would have to say one of the best countries is India. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so diverse, India is. Yeah, we haven't and been yet. Culturally, so like everything is imbibed. Culture literally oozes out mm -hmm. of every pore that is India. Yeah. Yeah. And so India is special. You you're known to love archery. Are you any good? <laughs> no self-respecting Bhutanese man will say they are not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking an angler, you know, do you catch fish? <laughs> <laughs> so when, when did you start? As a child in a village, yeah. we make our own bows and arrows and then we shoot. And of course, it's just playing among children. Yeah. And then uh, as you grow older, then you get more uh, into serious spot. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so for, the, for those listening who are visualizing archery, it's probably not as you're visualizing it. In Bhutan, it is a completely different ballgame. The distance that they shoot over. I mean, you'll see in our film. When, when our film's out, we will, of course, leave the link to that in the show notes. But it is really impressive the distance that the arrows cover it's unbelievable so the targets are about a meter high it's a meter and uh, a foot wide mm -hmm. and they are placed at uh, 140 meters distance <laughs> and you have two teams shooting from uh, one, one target to the other and we shoot in pairs yeah each each, each archer has uh, uh, two arrows to shoot and uh, there are two teams, so uh, we take turns. Mm -hmm. yeah? And uh, and then we go to the other target and then shoot back. Uh, that's the boring part. Yeah. The interesting part is archery is not complete without song, dance, mm -hmm. and wine. And wine. And lots, lots of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Every time someone hits the target, there is a big dance and everyone celebrates. Even the opposite team celebrate. Yeah. No. Oh, they're maybe not celebrating. They, they was, when we saw it, they were singing. No, they're, they're probably taunting. Oh. oh, okay. 
<laughs> See, that's the thing. I'll get you back. Yeah, Wait for the next one. <laughs> Maybe that that that's it. May your celebration be short lived. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the dancing and the the, the howling with joy. Yeah. That that was really Beautiful really fascinating to watch. To watch. You call us singing howling. It is howling, yeah. yeah. Bing. <laughs> oh, you made me blush. So our last question. We know that you're a big reader. You really enjoy reading. We're wondering if there's any book that you could recommend, either something that you've learned something, something that's inspired you, or just a book that you've really enjoyed reading, just for the sake of reading. We mm. always ask our guests this. Really? Like, yeah, we love really? it. So Therefore, you should be careful what you write in your bio, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you can see my books up there. Up there, you will see uh, works of biography, biographical works, autobiographical works. And the idea is actually really surrounding yourself with these people here. So there's uh, uh, Mandela and Clinton and Lee Kuan Yew and... Jack Walsh and uh, Gandhi and hmm. so on and so forth. Okay. And uh, yeah, Mandela. Mandela. Mandela is your one your one book recommendation. Topless yeah, Mandela. Yeah, yeah. Nice. We will link that in the show notes for anyone that wants to delve into that one. I think I think that's it. I think that's it. I think we're done. We, we could sit oh Oh, you're at, you're active on Twitter, is that right? Uh, where where can people where can people find connect, you online connect. in Bhutan? Thank you. <laughs> come, come to Bhutan. You'll in have Bhutan, a cup of tea yes. ready for everybody that comes to visit. I have a Twitter account. Not very active. It's uh, I have Facebook. I'm not very active. Well, uh, we'll leave them linked anyway if anyone's interested. I have Instagram. Not very active. <laughs> yeah, and 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 because the elections are coming up, I've started posting some things on TikTok mm-hmm. because I Utah into TikTok. So wow. Really, uh, you're, you're ahead of us. Yeah. Howling, you can hear me yeah. howling. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. We'll leave those linked in. And just to say again, thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah, we know you're very busy. And I think it just speaks volumes to to you. I mean, clearly this conversation, you're extremely humble. It took halfway through the conversation for you to even mention your political past and your stance and all of it. And Easy. I waited for you to mention it. Uh, I <laughs> so I had to squeeze it in. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, no, no. I had to set the context, yes. <laughs> but we feel incredibly honoured and we absolutely just have loved our time in Bhutan and we feel so privileged to be in this country to also get an opportunity to speak with you in your home and to also share this conversation and our experiences with our listeners, our community. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Tanya. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure.